You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, church, welcome today. For those of you who are here in this room or up in Overflow or are you watching online, we're so glad that you have uh, joined us here. We are in the middle and we continue to be in our Roman series. So if you've got a copy of God's Word and want to join me, I'll be in Romans 6.15 in just a second. So please turn there. And so far, by way of recap, let me just remind you that we've seen so much, right? Uh, this series has been intentionally chosen. This is a series on sanctification because it is such an important topic. But it's also a big theological word, so before you get confused on what sanctification is, let me pull up this slide for you from week one. Remember, justification is you being saved in a moment of time from the penalty of sin. It's what Christ has done for you who were dead to the sin of the world. Sanctification, what this series is about, is you being saved right now from the power of sin. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's not something that ever fully completes in this life. And here's the good news. It's also something that you walk with the Lord Jesus in. So think of it this way. Justification is God breathing life into a dead person. And sanctification is now God walking with that now alive person in greater and greater holiness. In another letter that Paul wrote, we can see this playing out. Let me put it on the screen for you behind me. Philippians chapter two says this, therefore my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That's not justification, that's sanctification. I don't bring life to myself but I can walk in obedience. Work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and here's the good news, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sanctification is you making a choice to grow in Christ. Sanctification is you deciding that you are not good with where you are right now. Not good with the sin struggles, not good with the little hunger for God, not good with the little fruit for God. You want more. You wanna grow because you know that life is too short not to grow in Christ. And so that's why this series, Romans 6 to 8, this series is gonna help flesh that out. And here's where we've been so far. We've seen through the first 14 verses, huge truths, but they first begin with who we actually are in Christ. This is a slide from last week. I'll pull up from you. What we we saw in the first 11 verses is that we we died to sin. That's, That's happened to us in Christ. We were raised to the news of life and we are united now with Christ in his resurrection and the old self is crucified and, and, and the body of sin is brought to nothing. We're no longer enslaved to sin because sin and death have no dominion over us. We're dead to sin and now alive to Christ. If you remember from last week, those are the indicatives Pastor Ravi mentioned. That's what's happened to us. That's the reality. That's the truth. And in light of those realities and truths, now the imperative, as we saw from last time, was to present our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. And then we saw in verse 14, you can see it as well. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you're not under law, but under grace. Translation, there's a new boss in town. And when there's a new boss in town, you don't go back serving the old boss. 
You don't serve sin anymore. The dominion of the law and sin is done, now finally fulfilled, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's where we've been. And now we come to our text today, which begins with a question. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Okay, head spinning. That's a dense passage. Let's make it clear. That's why we're here. The message today is going to take on a question and an answer format. Paul's going to ask a question that he expects the, the hearers in Romans to be asking, and then he's going to come along right away, and he's going to answer it for our help. So that's just going to be our outline, okay? Question, then answer. So let's go to the question first. Point number one, question. Verse 15. Here they are. There are actually two. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Remember what he's just said in verse 14. There's a new boss in town. And when there's a new boss, you don't go serve the old boss. That's not how it works. You don't go back and serve sin anymore. You're not under the dominion of law anymore. You're under grace now. But wait a second, goes the question. If there's no law anymore, if that boss has been fired, does that mean I can sin freely? Do you see what the question is? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Verse 15. You see, the view of the law here, let me explain this by a diagram, and I know you wanted this because I'm preaching and there's gotta be a diagram, right? So here you go, diagram. This is what he's describing. And this is what the question is asking, okay? Uh, uh, one of the purposes of the law, that's one of the purposes. There's many other purposes of the law. There, the law was meant to show us and point us to Christ. The law was meant to tell us about sacrificial atonement that's necessary. The law was also meant to tell us and instruct us that God is holy and we are to worship him in holy, righteous ways. Those are some of the purposes of the law, but another solid purpose of the law is to act as a seatbelt against sin. The law constrains the person from falling into sin, falling into destruction, sorrow and hurt and pain and addiction and death. So goes the question. If you cut that seatbelt, some things are gonna happen. And the question is actually can be asked on two sides. The first side, I want you to picture this with your eyebrows. The first side is with your eyebrows down in anger. And you're asking the question as a religious leader or someone concerned about people's righteousness, you're saying, wait a second, you just cut the law out. Does that mean that people are just gonna fall into sin? There's huge danger that they're in. Eyebrows down. Is that showing up? You see that? The other side is the question that can be asked from eyebrows a little different, where one's down and one's kind of up. Wait a second now. Are you telling me that if the law is gone, hmm, that I can go ahead and sin. You see, one's from a perspective of self-righteousness. People are gonna sin like crazy, man. 
Another is from self-indulgence. I, I can sin like crazy. The difference is in the eyebrows. But the question is asked for both sides. Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Since we're not under the law, but under grace, does that mean that people will just fall into sin because there's no more restraints? Does that mean that I can just leap out into sin because grace is gonna catch me, man? No. No. Oh, wait, that's, that's actually the next point in the outline. Don't write that down yet. Forget what I said. That's the question that's asked, okay? Now let's answer the question in the rest of the verses. Point number two, the answer, no. No. In fact, how Paul answers it is, by no means. The question again, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Does that mean that people will fall into sin because there's no more restraints? Does that mean that I can just leap into sin because Jesus and his grace is gonna catch me? No. In fact, it's the most emphatic no possible. Three X's, nope. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. This is the strongest wording possible in this language to be used. Absolutely not. No, it doesn't. No, you can't. That's not what should happen, and that's not what's gonna happen, says Paul. He gives the answer right away. And then he's gonna expand on it. Here's his explanation. Here's his expansion. Verse 16. Don't you know that if you present yourselves, remember from that last time, that means to place at someone's disposal. Don't you know that if you place at someone's disposal to anyone else as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay, so he answered the question real quick with a no, an emphatic no. But now he's gonna give us the principle. Here's point two B. Here's the principle. I am a slave to the one I obey. Now that word slave pops up, you probably saw in our verses today, four separate times. And I think it's important for us to understand that term before we move on. Slavery in the ancient world. Slavery existed in most cultures in the ancient world and in every surrounding culture surrounding both Israel and Jerusalem and later Rome during biblical times. A slave could be owned by the state or by individuals and the majority of slaves were prisoners of war that were sold into slavery, but that wasn't the only reason you could be into slavery. Sometimes you got into so much debt that you couldn't get out, so you sold yourself willingly into slavery. Other times, it was because you had committed a minor crime, and that minor crime caused you to go into slavery. If you were a slave owned by the state, things were bad for you. You were likely to work really hard and have a really low life expectancy. But slaves that were owned by individuals often fared much better. They could even earn their freedom. Now, very important for us to understand today in our 21st century is that enslavement by race alone, skin color, was not a dominating part of the ancient world like it was in our North American 
transatlantic slave history background. Slavery is an institution in the ancient world that did not discriminate. Any and all races could be slaves. And it carried with it consequences that were dire sometimes, depending on the owner. Under a horrible owner, a slave could be beaten. Under a horrible owner, a slave could be beaten to death without any consequences to the owner. A slave could be forced to abuse or to hurt or to harm. But under a good owner, a very different story could play out. A slave could be well cared for, could be well paid. A slave could get the greatest treatment medically possible if they were sick. A slave could even earn their freedom and be part of a family. The slave's reality shifted depending on who the owner was. That's important. Remember that. Okay, back to the text. Verse 16. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? There's a contrast. You can see that right there, right? You're either a slave to sin that leads to death or a slave of obedience that leads to righteousness. There's only two options. And you can't serve both. You only get one choice. You place yourself either at sin's disposal or at obedience's disposal. So question, what makes the difference? What determines the master that you have. Do you see it in the text? Look again at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? So you tell me what determines, who determines what master you have? I can wait. You do. You do. You make the choice to serve sin or to serve obedience. You decide. Now before Christ, guess what? You could only choose to serve one master, sin. With the brokenness of your heart, you were dead in sin. You could only choose sin that leads to death. Sure, I mean, you did nice things, but you never did them for the Lord. You never worshiped the Lord from your heart. You never placed him as the highest priority of your life. You did the bad things for yourself. You did the good things even for yourself. You did it all for self. And that's the very definition of what sin is. Sin is you missing the mark of God's high standards. God, sin is you distorting the truth of what God said. Sin is you defying against God's rule over your life. You will place yourself as the ruler of your life. And in every human life, in every human life ever, that distortion, that defiance, that missing the standard has been present. And under that master, that master of sin, humanity has suffered death after death after death after death after death. But God, God the offended party, God the rejected one, God the mocked one, God the forgotten one, God the hurt one was not willing that you should suffer under that master anymore. 
walking like lemmings, life after life off the edge of a cliff into death. God is not willing that that continue. And so Jesus enters the battlefield. He became man for us. He was born for us. He became flesh and blood and died for us. And he satisfied all the punishment that we deserve so that we, by faith in him, can find eternal life. Jesus came and he snapped the back of the old boss, threw him out the window, breaking the glass. And now that old boss is laying shattered and battered at the curb. You say, well, that's really harsh, Craig. But this is how the writer of Hebrews puts it. I like it. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The old boss has been thrown out through the window. His battered body laying there and now our chains are broken, both done by the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to more of his answer for us. Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? No, says Paul. I'm a slave to the one I obey, but then also this. And in Christ, I have been set free. In Christ, I've been set free. Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart of the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What he's saying right here is really important, and here's the whole point of the message. We are not free to sin, but we are freed from sin. That master is dead. That master is powerless. He's laying out on the curb. No going back. I'm not his slave anymore. I have a new owner, and the new owner purchased my life with his very life. And now I have a choice. Present myself to sin and death or present myself to obedience and righteousness. I'm freed from sin. And now I'm free to worship Jesus Christ. There's a new boss in town. And when there's a new boss, you don't go back to the old boss. Solomon Northrop was born over two centuries ago. He was an African-American who was born free in upstate New York. He was also a gifted musician. He was a violin player. And one night while he was playing the gig in Washington, he was drugged and abducted and sold into slavery in the American antebellum South. You can read about it actually in his memoir, 12 Years a Slave. For the first two years, he worked for a Southern preacher before he was sold to another owner, Edwin Epps. Under Epps, Northrop was beaten many, many times. He was even lynched and yet survived the lynching. Epps was the definition of brutal. He was a psychotic owner who took out his problems on his slaves. 10 years, 10 long years under this man, Northrop is finally freed through the help of a Canadian, of all people. Picture years later, you meet with Northrop. Sit down with a coffee at his house. Would you ask the question to him, hey, hey Solomon, 
You ever think about going back? That doesn't make any sense. That's wrong. You wouldn't ask that question. In fact, it creates a visceral response in you. It's a disgusting thought to even think about. You don't go back to slavery. You don't go back to the beatings and the, and the jeerings. You don't go back. This man tried to kill you. There's no way you go back. So why then would those of us who are freed from sin now walk out on the one who has freed us and then bow down to the battered body of sin at the curb to obey sin that leads to death. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would we return to a master that sought our destruction? Why would we turn away from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for us? You're in the house of the Lord and you leave the house creeping out the back door and you walk back to the old sins bend down to the broken body of sin in your life, the addictions in your life, the, the slander that once was you, the, 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 the mockings, the jeerings, the, the kind of person you were in your anger and in your awfulness and, and all the sin struggles and you walk back and you help that sin again. And sin smiles through broken teeth and says, I, I knew you'd be back. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that you're not leaving completely the house. There are things the Lord Jesus Christ has done in you, and there's no way you're going back. There's no way you're going back to that way of life. There's no way I'm going back to being that kind of person anymore. There's no way I'm going to do that anymore. And the day goes on, and, but then just maybe, just maybe with this, I'm going to go back. Why would we turn and go to sin again? Why would we bring back the hurt? Why would we bring back the pain? Who would do that to themselves? Well, I would. I do. Because sin lingers in my heart. Sin that misses the mark, that defies God, that distorts the words of God. Sin still has its fingers on me. I can still hear sin's voice. I'm in the kitchen with Jesus and through the window, I can hear don't you remember the old way? Just come back, it's better. Remember how good you feel when you do that? Remember how easy it is to do that? Remember how much he deserves it for what he's done to you? Remember how she doesn't understand you? Remember how you're right? Remember how you need that in your life? Come on, man. You need a break. God's not really in control. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't know what's best for you. And the lies come in. Those are ancient lies. Those are lies from the very first day. And even though they're lies, some days I believe them. Some days more than others. That is what a besetting sin is. All series long, we've been asking you, what are the besetting sins in your life? There are things in your life that I wouldn't leave my house for. And there are things in my life that you wouldn't leave your house for. You've got your struggles, I've got mine. We all hear the voice. What is it for you? 
that holds you back from really following Christ? Where are you walking up to the broken body of sin and bowing down to it again? Looking back on his time in slavery, Northup wrote these words about his final master. He said this, 10 years I toiled for that man without reward. 10 years of my incessant labor has contributed to the increase of the bulk of his possessions. 10 years I was compelled to address him with downcast eyes and uncovered head. In the attitude and language of a slave, I am indebted to him for nothing save undeserved abuse and stripes. Solomon's not going back. The shame and the treatment he reserved? What about you and your old master? What do you owe sin? Nothing. What has sin given to you in your life? Nothing but pain and hurt and distance from the one who truly loves you. What is sin gonna give to you if you run back to it? Nothing but momentary delights followed by pain and hurt and distance from the one who loves you. Listen, in Christ, you have been set free. Now here's the fourth piece that Paul lays out. Are we just continue in sin like this? No. We're a slave to the one who obeys us, but now here's this fourth point. In Christ, I have a new master. You have a new master. Believers, you've been freed in Christ. Why go back? There's a new boss in town, and when there's a new boss, you don't serve the old boss. But sometimes we do. So how do we win? How do we fight? How do we have a hope to fight this battle within us? I'll tell you, by presenting yourself to the one who has saved you. We're not free to sin, we're freed from sin and now freed to worship Jesus. But you say to me, hang on, hang on a second, Craig. I don't like that word slave. I don't wanna be a slave to anybody. And you're telling me that I'm a slave to Jesus right now. It looks like that's what the Bible is saying. Now remember what I said earlier. The slave's reality shifted depending upon who the owner was. There was an ancient preacher in the city of Constantinople. His name is John Chrysostom. He's got a great last name. Chrysostom means golden mouth. How about that for a nickname? Presumably not because he liked yellow jello, but because he was words of truth. And he was commenting on this passage, and this is what he said. God has done the same if a person was to take an orphan who'd been carried away by barbarians into their own country and was not only to free him from captivity, but to set a kind father over him and raise him in a very great dignity. This is what happened in our case. For it was not just that God has freed us from our old evils. He's also led us into the life of angels. He opened the way for us to enjoy the best life, handing us over to the safekeeping of righteousness and killing our former evils, putting the old man in us to death and bringing us to eternal life. That's what we are free to. That's what the new master gives us. Free to serve Christ and under his gentleness and under his kindness, you find his grace and his love. If you are in Christ, sin no longer has mastery over you. You don't go serve the old master anymore. And instead you can 
Turn your hearts, hearts that now freely choose Christ, says verse 17, to those, those hearts get turned now to him. Okay, so let's get practical before we end our time together. I'm gonna give three practical things that you can do right now wherever God is leading you as I pray he is exposing things in your life. Here's the first thing you can do. It's this, wake up, wake up. Stop excusing sin. Come out of your stupor, recognize the danger in your life. See the lies around you. The lies that you may even tell yourself. It's not really a big deal. Everybody kind of does it. You know what, maybe I'll be the first one to get away with it. You know, I can work my way out of it. I can stop anytime. I mean, it's, 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 it's how I was raised. But you don't know what he does to me. You don't know how she pushes the buttons. I mean, that's, she's got to come and he's got to come and I deserve a break. I need this in my life. I'm not getting it anywhere else. I need this now. Stop excusing sin in your life. Call it what it is. I came across this, I'll read it to you. Man calls it an accident, God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder, God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect, God calls it a disease. Man calls it an error, God calls it enmity. Man calls it a fascination, God calls it fatality. Man calls it an infirmity, God calls it an iniquity. Man calls it a luxury, God calls it leprosy. Man calls it a liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. Man calls it a little thing. God calls it sin. Wake up and see the danger. Wake up and see the danger in your life. Wake up and see how the danger in your life is gonna bleed out into the lives of others, into the family that you love. Don't you think that your family is gonna be affected by this? Don't you think that by those closest to you are not gonna be affected by your lack of walking by faith in Christ? Why would you tolerate something so dangerous in your life? Sin is only wanting to kill and steal and destroy from you. Why would you tolerate it? If I gave you a V2 rocket from World War II and put it in your living room and I'd say, careful, that thing's armed, would you go around and go, hey, let me just kick it around? No big deal. That thing could blow up your house. Why would you tolerate sin like this? Wake up to see the dangers, but also look in. Look in. What are the besetting sins in your life? Where are you going back to the curb and helping sin up? Where are you bowing down to? What's controlling you today? What is the sin that confines and restrains you from growing in godliness, walking in holiness? What are the, what are the sins that are actually keeping your hand out of Jesus' hands as he takes you along in growth in him? Listen, we need to acknowledge that there is sin in all of us. If anyone says there's no sin, the truth of God is not in him. And as we heard earlier today, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, open our hearts. God, open our hearts to see my sin. 
My sin may be different than yours. What's holding you back from really following Christ? What needs to be repented of? And then lastly, look up, look up. Start conquering sin. Just as you've begun this journey, now you continue in repentance and faith in Christ. See, here's the great news. The new master, Jesus, hasn't left you defenseless. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the solution to your sin and the solution to my sin and the solution to all of our sin and us walking outside the house and bowing down to the broken body of sin, the solution to that is the solution today as it was and as it will be. It's the power and the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. As we ask for his help, as he comes in, his voice becomes strongest and his power begins to control us in ways unto the Lord's glory. In Galatians chapter five, another letter by Paul, he said this, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. It doesn't say try harder. In fact, I can guarantee you that on the days that you struggle most, you're doing one of two things. Either you don't really care about your sin or you're trying to kill it yourself. And that's what the enemy wants, for you to not care or to try and do it yourself. It's not possible. How we kill our sin is by walking by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want to grow in godliness. Then lean into the Spirit. A little bit later on, he says this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now here's verse 25. If you only walk away with one verse, here it is. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Listen, life's too short not to grow in Christ. Loved ones, and that growth, that sanctification is only possible through the Spirit's work within us. So as we wake up to the reality of sin's presence in our life, and as we look in and stop excusing things and start repenting of things and call upon the Spirit's help, we walk in faithfulness and follow obedience, which leads to righteousness. For he who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, can only do this. And that's where we end. But that's also where we begin as we call out to the Lord. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for truth today that is hard. But real love, love that actually cares is a love that calls to us to see the things that are broken in our lives. And without a doubt, you love us. The cross stands as a permanent reminder to us that you love me today. And for you to love me as your son, then you're gonna call and expose things in my life that need to change. Places where I am surrendering again to sin in my life. Places again where I'm running back to the old master. And please God, as you do that in my life, I pray that you do this in this church's life as well. 
that all across this room and at home and in overflow, cracks begin to show within the hearts of our people. God, I've been tolerating that sin too long. God, I've been excusing away that sin too long. God, I know you want to grow me in Christ and I've been holding back on this area and I've been ex excusing it as my nature. It's just a mistake. God, I'm done with that. I don't want to be like this anymore. Bringing in destruction in my life and removing me further away from you. I don't want this. God, I pray that as you do that in our hearts, you would remind us that as the cracks begin to grow in our hearts, there's room now for grace to come in and forgiveness to flood and life to be restored to us. So Lord, I pray for repentance in you. Authentic repentance that leads to life. And thank you, God, for your kindness to us, that we are not dealing with a God who is angry with us right now. For those of us in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for us. You're not furiously angry with us. All of that wrath has been satisfied at the cross, and now we are welcomed in. Your arms are extended to us in grace and mercy, and your kindness is there for us even today to find life again in you. So, Lord, please draw our hearts to you, your church to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we finish our time together, even in worshiping you, that these truths that we hold so dear would be truths on our lips and sung from our hearts as worship and prayer to you and praise to you. That we were lost, but you welcomed us. You brought us in. You ransomed us. Your grace runs deep into us. When we were slaves, when we were aliens, when we were children of wrath, Jesus, you came for us. And who you set free is free indeed. Thank you, God, that you call us now children of yours. And we can know for certain that we will never be forsaken by you. And that the kindness and the mercy that has saved us will also be the same kindness and mercy that walks with us and is held out to us today as we turn in repentance to you. So God, please do your healing work in us. Draw us to you. Be glorified in our hearts that are broken and calling out to you and be glorified in our voices now that express just that. Please lead us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church.